Hesedim is a series of reflection, usually reflecting on an issue in the society in the light of the words of scripture. You're welcome to join us each time and to send your questions or comments by way of a voice note. Look forward to hearing you and speaking with you. The, the account that we have read in the second book of Kings chapter 2 is about the story of the encounter with evil and with overwhelming force that is relentless and well-resourced. The prophet who is jealous for the name of God and who is a defender of the poor and the pursuit of justice is challenging members of the political class in order to hold them accountable. What we have before us is a lifetime and a long career in which that challenge and the pushback from the centers of power unfold. The question is, what does the story offer in the face of being outmanned and overmatched and overwhelmed when we are pursuing what is right and just in the face of evil that is unrelenting and well-resourced. I believe that this story offers hope and calls us for deepened commitment. Elijah encountered the face of evil. Ahab the king, Jezebel the queen his wife, 450 prophets of Baal, and their determination to kill any dissenting voice and to exact revenge when needed. This included their response to Elijah, who was charged and whom they held responsible for the three-year-long drought in Israel. They blamed Elijah for the suffering of the people. Ahab's successor, Ahaziah, who wanted to kill Elijah for opposing his idolatrous tendencies. Elijah is emblematic of the feeling that you are fighting a losing battle. One recalls the famous episode under the juniper tree of the feeling that you are overmatched and outnumbered and overwhelmed. What does, what does it mean to face unrelenting evil? to face the collapse of principles when the victories are in the form of near extinction and to have a, only a narrow escape. What happens when your only weapon is to call fire from heaven, when morality is an outdated concept? At the end of a long and tumultuous career, Elijah was taken up to heaven on chariots of fire in a whirlwind. The story is intertwined with the commencement of the career of Elisha, imbued with a double portion of the spirit of Elijah. What must we make of it? How it has been used by the formerly enslaved in the USA South 
in the early 1800s. The formerly enslaved put words to music in what in a spiritual called swing low, sweet chariot, coming forth to carry me home. I looked over Jordan and what did I see? Coming forth to carry me home. A band of angels coming after me, coming for to carry me home. This song became part of the code for the escape to freedom. It was an escape that put them beyond the reach of their enemies and oppressors. It is to open them to a brand new frontier. The song was developed and used in the American southern state of North Carolina by runaway slaves who were seeking to get to the north to places like the city of Detroit in Michigan and to gain and maintain their freedom. The woman named Moses, Harriet Tubman, was legendary for her role in the Underground Railroad, the movement to liberate runaway slaves. So the code to this song were designed to egg them along on their journey. If you get there before I do, tell all my friends I'm coming to coming for to carry me home. They saw in their struggle to escape slavery, the reenactment of Elijah going to heaven on a whirlwind. Elijah was their hero and template in that struggle. That is liberative imagination. So let me say the following today, as we read this story about our own struggles today. Elijah's career and context included various encounters with the leadership of the political class. There was the declaration of famine on the land. The famine lasted three years and only ended when Elijah told it to end, for which he was blamed. There was the contest between Elijah and the prophets of Baal, the court prophets to whom the king had ready access and who had access to the king. This conflict was about who was truly God. The God who answers by fire is truly God. Then there was Elijah's conflict with the leadership of the political class about the killing of Naboth and the expropriation of his land. And finally, there was a conflict with, with Ahaziah who had fallen through the lattice from his upper chamber in Samaria and was severely injured. Ahaziah sent to consult Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, about whether or not he would recover from his injury. injuries. Elijah, having proven at Carmel that the Lord is God, the God who answers by fire, took umbrage about the king consulting Beelzebub. Is there no God in Israel, he demanded. This had been the ethos of the dynasty of the Umrides, that Yahweh was out-competed and replaced, and God's dictates can be flouted. And in one epic battle, Elijah called fire from heaven and devoured not one captain, but two and the 50 soldiers with them. 
Elijah tried to capture him. This is the final scene of Elijah's earthly sojourn, when the chariots of heaven swoop down and swallow up Elijah and take him to heaven. On the words, my father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. The scene includes a dialogue between Elijah and Elisha on their final walk together over a considerable distance from Gilgal to Bethel, from Bethel to Jericho, and then from Jericho to Jordan. Elisha knows, as do the company of the prophets, that Elijah will be taken up to heaven. They do not know exactly when and are keenly watching for the imminent departure of Elijah. Elisha makes a final wish known to Elijah that he be endued, imbued with a double portion of the spirit of Elijah. If you see me when I'm being taken up into heaven, the wish will be granted. When Elisha sees and shouts, my father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel, Elijah's mantle falls to the ground. He picks it up and with it, he struck the Jordan. Elisha gathers Elijah's mantle and tear it into two pieces and with it he himself crosses the Jordan again. What are the lessons from Elijah being taken up into heaven on chariots of fire? I identify three. The first is that God has ways to engineer the escape, the deliverance and the rescue of God's people. Ways that defy imagination. Do not count out God. God has resources. God has options. God has ways that we do not know of. There are three scenes of people being taken up into heaven in the history of mankind in the Bible. There is Enoch, the one that no one witnesses. He walked with God and was not because God took him. There is Jesus who was taken up into heaven comparatively unspectacularly before the watching eyes of his disciples. And there is this spectacular scene of Elijah being whisked away by chariots of fire. Throughout his life, there was always a sense of God's reserve capacity. But often we saw it in near misses. But God must not be underestimated. God has ways. And this shows you but a glimpse. This is one chariot that we saw. What if we saw the whole Calvary? It swoops down and disappears in the twinkle of an eye. There is more, vastly more. The oppressed need to know that. Those that are with us are more than those that are against us. God has ways. God has options for the rescue and for the deliverance and for the escape of God's people. Captain Goodman just happened to be the policeman with his wits about him in the Capitol building on that fateful day of January 6, 2021. 
that took charge of the escape from injury of the Congress and the members of the Senate. Now he has been given a Congressional Medal of Gallantry, of honor for gallantry. It is ironic that these most underrated people abused, maligned, and excluded, but the agents of salvation. God has ways, God has options. Do not count out God. May I ask that Elijah's escape on chariots of fire informs your perspective in the struggle. In our context and in our world, God has ways. Wait on God. Look to God. So it is time to renew our liberative imagine and redemptive imagination, not just from Rona, Corona, as the people call it, but from systems of oppression. It is time for us to look over yonder, to lift up our eyes and to see that our redemption draweth near. It is time to lift up our eyes onto the hills from whence our help comes. Elijah's flight to heaven is a space for all of us to hope. He is an exception, but only in the way which he escaped, not in the experience of hope and deliverance and rescue and escape. God comes to the aid of God's people in the day of trouble. I will hide you in my pavilion, in the secret place of God's tabernacle. Will he hide? Will God hide us? Elijah is emblematic of what is available for all of us. The second thing to be said is that God revealed God's plan and God's will to God's prophet. Nowadays, the question arises as to who is a true prophet, and it is moot. There are many charlatans making self-serving claims. In this story, we get a glimpse of people who have entered the sword and have heard God speaking with God about what God is going to do. Elijah knows what God is going to do. Elijah knows what God is going to do. The schools of the prophets at Jericho know what God is going to do. The school of the prophets at Jordan know what God is going to do. As far as they are concerned, it is an open secret. The plan of God for the weather and climate of Israel, for the health of the king, and for the future of the prophets are made known. And the prophets, by their insight, indicate that they know God and that they know God's word and that they are obedient to God's will, and therefore they will unveil the purpose of God and the character of God. The prophet is deeply committed to the hallowing of God's name. This is why Elijah stands up to Ahab and again stands up to Ahaziah. And this is why he comes to the defense of Naboth at his vineyard. It is not a matter of just random interest, but of deep insight. Notice that all the prophets were in on what is happening. This is to be contrasted to religion nowadays with prophets for profit that are playing games. 
they are in, they are not engaged with justice and with life and with holiness as was Elijah. This is the standard to which we should hold our religious leaders accountable. Those who are making claims of divine insight. The third thing is that God is building out and preparing for the future. Elijah's departure includes the anointing and equipping of Elisha. God does not have just one man. God does not leave God's self without a witness. God, who is the God of creation, is the God who calls and God who equips. The work continues. And however gifted are those who now serve God in positions of leadership, God is seeking to improve upon them. Notice that the succession plan was already in place for Jehu and Haziel and for Elijah. God is a God of the future. God is a God who is to come. He calls Elisha from plowing with oxen on his farm and puts a ministry in his hand, uses him to change the world. God changes the focus of the ministry of Elisha from that of Elijah. Elijah was concerned with the holders of public office and their conduct. Elisha was concerned with the lived reality of the people. He was a man with miraculous powers. God is not restricted to one type and one set of gifts and one focus of ministry. It is, it is a multi-pronged struggle. All kinds of gifts have their place. This is what we must know. Some are pioneers and some are plodders, but they are concerned with the nitty-gritty. So God whisked Elijah away. This is our hope, not an escape. Our hope is hope that God will make a way. The whisking away is not an end. It is only a new beginning. It is time for us to invest in new beginnings Tide is turning and new talents are emerging with new imagination. With them and with God and with us, a new day will dawn. Let us be ready for the moment. Amen.